It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Coldborn Borkstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm Dan Steinbach. I'm joined today by Colby Bergstrom, but also we are joined by a very special guest today. The first ever uh, Virginia Tech Hokie to be the recipient of the STAA Jim Nance Award. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the sports broadcaster of the year in all of uh, the college broadcast world. We have Evan Hughes with us today. So excited to have him. VT alum, 3304 Sports pioneer. Uh, We have him on the podcast today. Very, very excited. Uh, to have him on. Evan, thank you so much for coming on today, man. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've really loved listening to both you and Colbjorn and everyone else that uh, has done a great job with this podcast the last couple of months. I'm really excited to see the growth of it and um, just excited to be on. You know, it, it's weird hearing you guys refer to me as an alum. Um, I still feel like I am a freshman in college, but uh, yes, I guess I technically am a graduate now. Yeah, man, it's surreal. Uh, Colby and I were talking about this. I don't know if it was on a podcast or if we were just before recording. We were talking about how, the fact that um, with everything that's gone on this year, we left college uh, freshman um, in the spring of 2020. And now we're going to be going back in fall of 2021 as juniors. It's just, it's really crazy. Um, and like, yeah, we went to Blacksburg in the fall, but just wasn't the same feel, you know? And now we're going to be going back to football games, just classes in general. It, it really is a surreal feeling. No, and I, I'm so excited for you guys, too, because, you know, freshman year is such a, um, you know, important year when it comes to creating relationships and making friends and have that taken away is such a bummer. But now you guys are going to get to have a normal college experience, your juniors, your senior years, and those are two really, really fun years. So, you know, I was in Blacksburg yesterday, and just seeing – um, you know, Blacksburg, you know, being able to walk into a restaurant without a mask on right now and seeing your oh, way yeah. waitress that one on, it's like, it's starting oh, to yeah. get real. It, it, it feels weird, but it's starting to feel normal again. And that's really cool. Yeah, it, it does definitely feel that way. I will say from my own experience as well, uh, I've actually started work, uh, not as some of the other great 33 or four people and doing broadcasts for minors, but I'm actually working with a, a fairly local minor league team and the Fred Nats, you know, they were just recently opened the park and basically seeing uh, everybody without masks there in- including like uh like work i remember training uh, doing a training module the week prior and it was like oh the mask room is so important if you're like your ppe sworn or whatnot you got to replace it and there was just it was maskless everyone was there and i was just kind of like I-, I still got mine so i'm gonna use it but it- it's crazy to just see everything's just kind of getting back to how things were uh pre-virus yeah, yeah. There, there's there's no doubt about that, and uh, I'm, I'm you know just the thought of sixty five thousand people jumping to enter Sandman for a nighttime game against North Carolina, you know just what a what a thought that is, and what an image that like I can I can picture it right now. But guys, I'll tell you this: there's so many big enter Sandman moments. I think about Ohio State coming in as a defending national champs in 2015. You think about some, you know, some big UVA games, but I don't know if there will be an Enter Sandman experience quite like the one that there will be, assuming we're back to full capacity in August. 
Absolutely. It's going to be crazy whenever we get back in there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if even the first game, did, no, no matter who it is, if, if it would be sold out, like if it even can be. You know what? I wasn't thinking about this on, uh, as part of the show today, but I know this was a topic I wanted to talk about. And Evan, the fact that you and Colburn have been talking about crowds. I mean, why don't we just like jump into this a little bit? This isn't, again, this isn't a topic I was thinking of, but right off the top, we've had a lot of stories the past just like week or two regarding fans, you know, especially in the NBA playoffs. I mean, you've got Donovan Mitchell, you've got Trey Young being spit on, you've got uh, Kyrie Irving getting a water bottle thrown at him. You, like, what's going on with fan bases right now? I mean, they're just acting crazy. I mean, I know that we're in this rush to return to normalcy, but how long are you, do you do either of you expect this to go on? Like, are people just trying to get the crazy out right now? I mean, it, it is crazy. I do 100% agree. I, I don't know whether it's pent-up frustration from people who have either thought one way or the other about this or whether it's just people forgot how to act. I don't know. It's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's been happening and the disrespect, particularly in the NBA, that's been happening to players. And uh, I think even some of the players have been starting to talk about it, saying, like, they uh, NBA and, like, security and whatnot, they've got to get it together. And I 100% agree. They have to get uh, their act together for this. Um, I don't know. It's wild. I mean, we've seen, you know, as you said, the, the, the spitting incident, we've seen the popcorn throwing incident. We've seen um, the fan even run onto the courts. It's, it's wild. I, I don't know. People are acting as if they're entitled to treat the players this way. And at the end of the day, they're doing this for your entertainment. They're doing this for their job. They're human beings like us. Don't treat them any differently. It's highly disrespectful what a lot of these people are doing. I, I totally agree because, you know, um, it's just, it's so wrong on so many levels. And I look at athletes as any other person in, in this world that works, right? Like imagine going to work and somebody throwing a water bottle at you or, or, you know, spitting at you. I mean, it's just, it's, it's terrible. So, um, you know, I, I, I really applaud these arenas, for you know a lot of them i think have at least indefinitely suspended these people have not banned them for life and you know there's a sense of entitlement with these fans and listen i mean they are human beings with feelings with families and uh it's just it, it, it there needs to be a, a a stop to it because it's just not right yeah yeah definitely uh good points to bring it up there regarding the humanity of it and there, there is something that i would like to segue that into but i'm going to save that for later on in the show because right now uh, i, I did want to start today talking a little bit about virginia tech because just recently uh Hokie sports announced their new uh name image and likeness initiative uh bt uh they're calling it jumpstart um and, and i mean when it comes to any name that virginia tech is going to have it's going to have to have enter sandman start jumping something like that in the name so uh, the creative team definitely had their work cut out for them there, but no, I, I I'm very uh, excited for this because I have always been a supporter of college athletes, uh, making endorsement money, uh, getting paid for their name, image, and likeness. Um, I, I was one, I was, cons uh, interested in how this would work in the state of Virginia because, you know, NIL laws are being passed throughout the nation, but I haven't seen anything concrete in Virginia. Uh, there was a site that was talking about, it had them tracking states, and it said that in Virginia, it was 
effective in 2024, but it also said a bill hadn't passed yet. So uh, naturally, I reached out to a House delegate in the most professional way ever. I added uh, Delegate Chris Hurst on Twitter, and I asked him how that bill was holding up. And I did actually get a response because um, in committee in the Virginia House, in the Virginia State House, it had been uh, tabled and left in appropriations. It's been there for over a year. Uh, it was put there in February 2020. So I asked uh, Chris, with all the new news on Virginia Tech Jumpstart and NIL laws, what's the situation with Virginia's? From what I've seen, HB 300, which is the House bill, has been left in appropriations for over a year. Are there any plans to bring it back or start drafting new legislation? And Chris Hurst got back to me and said, it'll be next year for sure. The issue won't go away until we've made sure student athletes have rights for their imaging compensation. So, I, I mean, again, I'm excited about this initiative. Uh, it's just a matter of time before the government in Virginia um, or even the federal government uh, decides to, you know, pass an NIL, pass an NIL law so that this uh, jumpstart can really start to kick off. Because I, I see that there's a lot of like future planning involved in this program. Um, there's financial literacy, which is very, very smart because, uh, you know, not everyone learns that. Not everyone learns that in their path of academics. So I, I really like what they're doing here. I think it's just a matter of time before it really starts to get more into the financial compensation area. And of course, you have to go through all the legal loopholes um, before all that happens. So I, I was very uh, intrigued by this. And it, it's only going to help uh, athletics because, I mean, everyone's going to start doing it. And of course, you talk about recruiting and all that jazz. But no, I, I thought that it was very good, uh, a good step in the right direction. Um, and there are plenty of local opportunities that they listed out uh, in the town of Blacksburg. It's obviously a community that loves Virginia Tech. Um, Colby, did you see this today? Uh, or I think it was announced yesterday morning. I was really excited about it. Yeah, I know. I, I saw one of uh, your uh, tweet recently. I don't think I actually saw the response because I think I saw like saw it on my timeline when uh, – pretty quickly after you posted it but now he hearing this from you and hearing kind of what's involved in it uh it sounds very exciting it sounds like something that will be great for student athletes uh i'm kind of always pro uh, the athletes in general um and definitely you know getting something like this involved at the college levels can be great and as you said it has to start somewhere so if it starts with us that'd be excellent uh and then hopefully that can move on to other states kind of following suit yeah, there you go. No, I, I thought it was a really great um, release from Virginia Tech. And there were a couple of things that really stood out to me in their release about it. And just that uh, the, the student athletes at Virginia Tech are going to have the, as they put it, the tools, the tips, and training to maximize their individual benefits. So you look at their steps, right? The personal branding, brand development, endorsement business opportunities. Um, entrepreneurship, financial literacy, career planning, and then capitalizing on name, image, and likeness. I mean, you can tell that this is a, a well-thought-out plan. And I think Virginia Tech is one of the first schools that I've seen that has put out a comprehensive plan of how they intend to take advantage of name, image, and likeness. And I, I thought it was a, a job well done because everyone's doing this for the first time. And the student-athletes have never been able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. So the fact that you know, Virginia Tech, one of the first to uh, put this into motion uh, when it does indeed happen, I think is really, really neat. And, you know, look at it, guys. The dead period just ended for recruiting on June 1st. 
athletes can now come to Virginia Tech or schools around the country for that matter. But when you've got a plan like this rolled out, ready to go, everyone is going to start having stuff like this. So I think Virginia Tech is one of the first to do it. I think it's a really good plan. And I guarantee you right now, every coach at Tech is talking to student or recruits about how they can take advantage of this and showing them the plan they have in place right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That recruiting tool, uh, it'll be a big factor in, in terms of what this with these NIL laws uh, dictate, how they impact college sports as we know it. I mean, I was looking through that site of when these laws start to take effect. There are some that take effect in July of this year, and you're looking at the Alabamas, the Georgias, and the Floridas of the world, you know, where college football basically runs the economy. And it's just, it's just a, the way the game's played. And if you want to keep up, I mean, obviously right now with everything in the landscape of college athletics and specifically college football, you've got those teams at the top who have all the resources, all the recruits go there, but they know how to get those recruits and being at the forefront of this new recruiting war zone of these NIL laws, it's going to be important for all of these like top, top programs. And it's going to be important for all these middle of the pack programs to try to keep up, to try to play that game, uh, to be able to, you know, keep up in the recruiting and be able to keep up in competitive play when it comes time for, you know, their respective seasons. Um, but I just found it interesting. I thought it was a nice little news release. Evan, I want to thank you again for coming on today, but for right now, you know what? We, we need to talk about something because not, not the last episode. Cause if you go on anchor Spotify, the last episode for a beat writer uh, series, mm-hmm. uh, two of our episodes, we wrapped up the baseball and softball seasons of Virginia tech, but on our last 3304 sports podcast, Colby he said some things that, you know what, I, I need to call him out on now because this man, he, uh, I, I will admit, I do not know anything about soccer. I, I do not pretend to know much about soccer. So that's why I defer to him a lot. But this man made yeah. promises. He made guarantees to the public that did not follow through. And I'm currently looking at Google just with the <laughs> phrase in the hot bar, misleading the public crime. And I am seeing that anyone convicted of making false statements in violation of federal statute faces a prison term of up to five years and a fine of up to $250,000. So Evan Hughes, today I'm going to be the prosecutor and I believe you will be our jury, our one person jury, because I'm going to play some statements that Mr. Bergstrom here said And I think it's going to be up to you to determine whether or not he's guilty. I think that this is a fair trial, not in any way brought about by sheer pettiness. But I will say, I'm a man who has placed bets before. I'm glad I did not follow Mr. Bergstrom's advice. So without, if it pleases the court, I would like to say, I would like to enter Exhibit A into evidence. All right, this is, from episode 46 of the 3304 Sports Podcast. I am going to play a segment for you and we'll see Mr. Bergstrom's reaction here. Oh, no. United will find a game sealer at the end of the game. So if you guys want to put your money on this, do so. I mean, you're probably going to be a little too late. So Dan, if you want to do so, if, you, uh, if you're, like, you're able to or you want to convince someone to, but... I would say it's going to be four to two in favor of Manchester United. I think. Hmm. 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 What have we here? But we have a score prediction 
for the Europa League final, where Mr. Bergstrom here claims that it would end up being 4-2 in favor of his team, Manchester United. Mm-hmm. If it pleases the jury, I would like to also submit that that game did not end 4-2 in favor of Manchester United. Rather, it ended 1-1 draw, which I talked about on the podcast because apparently you can bet draws in soccer for some reason. Mm-hmm. It ended 1-1 at the end of regulation, went through both extra times, and then it went 11-10 to 10 in penalties. Now, before we continue this joke trial, Colburn, how do penalties work? Like, it went 11-10, to 10, <laughs> but you have a starting 11. Like, they had to have their keepers shoot. If yes. the keepers both made their kicks, what would have happened after that? Did they go to the subs? All right. So, so for penalties, uh, how it works is the the, the first five, um, whoever is leading after that, uh, will be the winner. And then, if not, it goes into a sudden death shootout uh, from there in the pens. Which then the first five players obviously can't go. So then you have to go through, as you mentioned, the rest of your starting eleven, which generally ends with your goalkeeper. And if it is 11-11 or any of uh, a tie scoreline after the keepers have kicked, it goes back to the start of the lineup where whoever kicks first then kicks and you keep going and going until you finally have a winner. Okay, very well. Now, back on. (laughs) Before we allow the defense to speak, if it pleases the court once more, I would like to submit another piece of evidence into the record. This is with three minutes and 36 seconds left at the end of episode number 46 of the 3304 Sports Podcast, available on Anchor and Spotify. This is Mr. Bergstrom's guarantee regarding the Champions League final. No matter how much you want to try to say, oh, Chelsea's got a chance. They, they're, they're always going to have to have a chance. They got to the Champions League final, right? No, I, I just don't think so in this case. Um, there is a question mark, um, as I mentioned last week with McGuire. There is a question mark that um, their starting goalkeeper, Edward Mendy, uh, is going to be in net or not for Chelsea. And if he's not in net, they have to go to the perennial joke, um, someone that you know everyone jokes about in Kepa Ariza Balaga, who's fallen off ever since he comes to the club. And I just don't see this game anymore for Chelsea, particularly if Kepa's in net. I think if Mendy's in net, Mendy, I think, had the second most clean sheets in the Premier League season, only behind Ederson, Manchester City starting goalkeeper. Um, But even if it is a Mendy versus Ederson, uh, brick wall versus brick wall matchup, I just think that City's overall play under Pep is so much better than Chelsea's uh, play currently. And... Chelsea doesn't have a defining goal scorer, while, um, I mean, I've even mentioned the past, City doesn't quite either. However, one thing that I think is going to show up in this game is now that it's basically confirmed that Aguero is going to go to Barca, I think this is going to be uh, Sergio Aguero's big send-off for Manchester City. Um, I don't think he and Pep had a horrible relationship. Uh, Pep has actually been playing him a lot more recently since it's uh, almost seemingly like in this past month, month and a half. And Aguero's a club legend. I don't think you're benching him for this game. I think hmm. he's going to start. And with Aguero on the pitch, Manchester City has a defined score or a defined striker. Um, and all in all, I would say that just about every single phase of the field, they have a better team than Chelsea. And I think this is going to be a beating. Um, just to, uh, I'll, not to put it lightly there. So I think City will win. Um I don't think Chelsea will score a goal, but my current scoreline prediction 
if you want to put this in, uh, you know, to use your own will, it is four to nothing Manchester City is what I would say. Hmm. 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 There were so many things there. Now, no further questions, Your Honor. I will allow the defense to speak, and then we will turn it over to the jury to see how this <laughs> sentence will be brought out. Well, I guess I'm going to be able to get a little bit of analysis in here. Thank the Lord. Uh, jury, I'm, first of all, I'm sorry for those egregious statements. They were clearly wrong at the end of the day. Something that, you know, before it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Could have never seen it coming, but uh, if, if it pleases the jury, um, I'd, I'd like to go and talk about both the games as well. And I'll try to keep it fairly brief because I, I, I don't want to waste the jury's time on this. I mean, those statements are very, very, very telling in themselves. Um, so the first game, which was the Europa League that was played when we brought the podcast, um, if it was to um, please you gentlemen, I, I don't have clips of myself. Uh, I don't even think we could have rights to the clips. However, towards the end of the game, after um, the side that I predicted to win, my club Manchester United, uh, had tied the game at one to one, there was, I, I believe, a minimum of like four clear goal scoring opportunities that the club did not put in. From a Cavani header that deflected off of uh, Villarreal defender Pau Torres, uh, a Rashford goal that he completely missed, and it was a bit almost a one-on-one with him and the keeper, a really well-put ball, um, including some other opportunities, I think one from a midfielder and one from a defender, and that also did not cease in overtime, as once Manchester United tied the game, they took advantage of the field of play. They also looked sloppy in the first half, if that was to please the jury. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think that's just unfortunate in my case. United did have the better goal-scoring opportunities. However, they just were not able to capitalize. And, I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's hard to say that, oh, you should have known that they weren't going to capitalize when this is a team that has scored a lot of goals. Um, in all competitions this year, being one of the better attacking teams in football. Um, And then if it also pleases the jury, it went into penalties. Anything can happen in penalties. So it's just kind of hard to predict on that. Objection. Oh, Oh, good. You may continue. Oh, well, okay. We're good. Okay, there was an clear, clear objection. Now for Manchester City, you can go back and look at their lineups if you look at their lineup in the final game of the season, the Champions League final against Chelsea, when I said that they were guaranteed, like, I, I don't think I ever said the word guarantee specifically, which is another point. I don't think I've ever said that it was a guarantee, but I said it's where I would put my money. Pep Guardiola in the final did not start a central defensive midfielder, if it pleases the jury. Rodri and Fernandinho, two players that, have been rotated in and out, and but both and one of them has been in the center of the midfield for Pep throughout the whole season. Did not start. Pep's starting lineup for Manchester City in the midfield was Phil Foden, Ilkay Gundogan, and Bernardo Silva. Three wonderful players, but no defensive midfielder. And if you look at the goal that City scored, it was a beautifully well-worked pass 
in between what seems like a bust length of space between the center backs from Mason Mount to give Kai Havertz an easy tap-in on Ederson. So there's, there's not much else to say there other than the fact of that Pep literally out like messed himself up in his tactics. And to even add to that point, as I said in the statement, in the clip that was uh, shown by uh, uh, you know, uh, my, my prosecution here, the, the issue is that I said that Edouard Mendy was going to make it a close game. I said that if he played, it, it was going to be way closer than what I predicted. But I thought that he wasn't going to play because it was reported leading up to the game that he could be injured. But then Mendy played, and boy, how magnificent he was. And I was very happy to hear that part of the clip as well because I was able to be right on that. Um, and then the final piece of evidence, Pep decided to not start Sergio Aguero on the day, which is a bad call from myself, but I think is an even worse call from Pep Guardiola, a man who's not only won multiple trebles in his career, which is winning three trophies as well, um, including doing one with the Champions League at Barcelona, but it is also someone that, as I mentioned in the clip, it was his last game for Manchester City, and he should have went out with the bang, and Pep did not give him the satisfaction that he deserved. And thus, Manchester City lost to a pretty poorly given up goal, one to nothing. Beyond that, they were in decent control of the game, having more possession and only having one shot less. Has the jury reached a verdict? The jury has reached a verdict. Um, that was quite the argument given by the defense. Uh, I would just like to say this. I, uh, I am somebody, so believe it or not, my dad played soccer at Virginia Tech in the 80s. It is a sport that I still uh, am learning and trying to become better at. And clearly, Colbjorn has a terrific soccer mind. So he, in my opinion is not guilty of going out and making a bold prediction and believing in his facts. He used facts to come up with his, um, with his prediction of what would happen. However, clearly, as, as Dan pointed out, his predictions did not come true, but that is okay. So, yes, he might be guilty, but he's not guilty of being um, – you know, putting a great prediction out there. So that's my final say. The jury has reached its verdict. Colbjorn will continue to give great takes on this podcast, as will Dan in the future. Oh, thank you. Thank you I don't know if any of my takes have been great. So basically, Evan just performed jury nullification. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, if, if anything, Colbjorn's guilty of, you know, never being anyone's financial advisor and telling them what to do with their money. I'm so. Saved. We can, we can move on now. A um, little bit of news here today. Uh, Coach K is retiring after the end of next season. Um, I guess just a pretty blanket statement. Uh, I, I mean, we don't have to get too far into it. it. Duke basketball just won't be the same without him, and it'll completely change the landscape of the ACC. I mean, Roy Williams is gone. Uh, Coach K is going to be gone. It, it really is going to change that power dynamic. Um in college basketball. Cause I mean, those are two blue bloods right there. And I mean, Hey, good, good for Virginia Tech. Am I right? But seriously, uh, it'll, it'll feel weird, you know, tighten of the game, just walking away like that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why I haven't looked into anything yet. I'm sure it's just age. I mean, he's getting up there for sure. 
Uh, and I mean, what, what else does he have to do? He, he's won national championships. He's made final fours, won ACCs a lot. Um, had a couple of bad tournament runs, but other than that, I mean, it, it's not like he's going to be viewed as some overrated guy. I mean, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. So uh, just, a, just a little bit of news uh, across the desk there today. Actually, I want to thank Evan for that because I didn't see, um, I didn't see any of that before we started recording. Uh, Jeff Goodman tweeted that out uh, like 20 minutes before we started. And I hadn't checked my phone. So uh, props to you, Evan, on that one. Well, I thank you. I mean, I, it, it's just, it's, you know, it's funny. This morning, check Twitter. Danny Ainge is stepping down from the Celtics. Brad Stevens is no longer coaching. And then Coach K retires. So talk about a crazy news day as we record on a Wednesday afternoon, June 2nd. So, uh, but you know, what a, you know, what a career Coach Case put together. Arguably the best coach to ever coach basketball. It's not even just called college basketball. And when you think about people that have made a profound impact on a university, one person, a university. I mean, think about what Coach K has done for Duke University, both academically and you know, look at all their other sports. I think there's a reason why Duke excels in a lot of other sports besides basketball, and that's because of the uh, elite stature that there is around Duke men's basketball. And uh, you think about Coach K coaching Team USA as well, that 2008 uh, Team USA team, one of the best Olympic teams ever assembled. Um, I don't know if anybody will ever reach that that pinnacle moment or that, that pinnacle level, like that, that level at the top when I'm trying to say where coach K is right now. And uh, this is going to be a, you know, what a storyline it's going to be Duke missing the tournament for the first time in what 20 some years and the final year, can they win it? Can coach K go out a winner? It's going to be a huge storyline all year. I completely agree with Evan. He's one of the best uh, to ever do it in the sport. Um, obviously you can have your things of, Oh, it'd be so great to see him in the NBA, but honestly it was um, though, you know, whatever, however you feel on Duke, however you feel on other teams, uh, if you're an ACC fan um, of, uh, of tech or of any of the other schools, you, you have to, uh, this credit where credit's due. He's one of the best to ever do it. And as Evans mentioned, he's changed the university forever. He's changed the sports programs forever. Um, and he's changed the sport of basketball forever. Look at like, you know, how many Duke players are in the NBA and shining, including, you know, like the likes of Kyrie Irving uh, in Brooklyn and Zion Williamson in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, definitely a monster program, Duke men's basketball. And Evan, I like what you brought up there about um, how one program can really affect all of the sports at a university. Uh, I saw a tweet yesterday that Justin Fuente was hosting a recruit and Mike Young was as well. And Mike Young went out of his way to talk to the football recruit. I think that that is spectacular. Um, growing up a Michigan State fan, you know, Tom Izzo is always involved on campus. It, it really just lends that credibility when you have these, you know, superstar coaches with these, you know, powerhouse programs or these just like really good foundational programs uh, at a university. And they're all working together. It really builds that sense of community. Um, and whether or not it helps recruiting, I don't really know. I can't really say, but uh, I know that having your coaches uh, be friendly with one another and help each other out. And again, just letting that support, it, it really helps. Um, at, at least from a, 
outsider's perspective, uh, because maybe a fan base has an uh, opinion on, on one coach, but if a other coach at the university who is more liked, you know, supports that coach, it, it just helps the situation all throughout. Um, so yes, yeah, definitely a good point there by Evan on coach K and Duke athletics. Uh, and Evan brought up the Boston Celtics. So this is kind of the small NBA portion of today's show. The Boston Celtics are kind of in shambles right now. They just lost a series um, in five to the Brooklyn Nets. And the fact that they lost to the Nets is pretty poetic because this Boston Celtics era has been built on that 2013 trade uh, in June of 2013 when they traded away uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to the Brooklyn Nets for all those draft picks. And I, 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 it just, it didn't work out or maybe it did because Brooklyn was not good uh, in the immediate aftermath of that trade. You know, they were pretty awful and Boston had all these high picks, but now you're looking at it. Brooklyn is this free agent destination because they now have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, James Harden, Blake Griffin, you know, the, the players want to come there. Um, but when you, when you take a look at what Boston has done with that, Danny Ainge had all those picks and he had the ability to really do something with them. But here, I'm looking at this uh, from Nets Republic and th this is what the trade ended up being. So Kevin Garnett, J uh, Jason Terry, Paul Pierce from Boston to Brooklyn uh, and DJ White, as well as a 2017 first round draft pick. That pick was used to get D'Angelo Russell. That D'Angelo Russell Nets team made the playoffs. They were fun to watch, uh, but then he left Brooklyn uh, to go to Golden State. Um, and then you had the Boston Celtics getting back. Yeah, Keith Bogans, Marshawn Brooks, Chris Humphreys, Chris Joseph, Gerald Wallace, really, really nothing. It was the first round picks that made that trade. And they ended up being James Young and then Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And they used a 2018 first round pick to trade for Kyrie, who obviously now is on Brooklyn. Um, so aside from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who even when they're both on the floor, Danny Ainge has not been able to put together a real contender around those two. That trade... It, that trade has been lauded as like either the greatest ripoff in history of sports or just like the greatest trade ever. To me, it's never been that it's always just been kind of there. It's like, yeah, it's big names moving around and like there's superstars going one way, but Danny Ainge has mismanaged that trade so poorly. And he's held on to all those draft picks and he didn't do anything with them. And he failed to build a real contender. Um, and it, you know, it, it is what it is. He's stepping down, but the weird, the, the crazy thing to me is Brad Stevens is now stepping down from coaching and he's going to be going into the front office. I, he doesn't have any front office experience that I'm aware of. He might have some hand in scouting or drafting being the head coach. Uh, but him being in a front in a front office is very interesting to me. Danny Ainge would likely move on elsewhere uh, away from Boston and just leaving Stevens with what he has left to work with. Uh, and Brad Stevens apparently was becoming frustrated with, head coaching in last year's playoff bowl. This whole thing just spells disaster. And looking back on that trade, that's almost a decade old now, that is just infamous from for either side. But now looking at the fact that Brooklyn is a better franchise than Boston at this moment, even after that trade that was supposed to, you know, turn these Celtics into a dynasty. It's just crazy to, to look at. What, what are you guys thoughts on all the stuff that's been happening just today? Um, specifically with Boston stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit crazy. Um, I don't think it's like an unjustified act, though, 100%. Uh, Boston has been struggling in the playoffs for a while. They really haven't been able to, as you said, kind of 
bring that team to really where you would expect. And uh, I, I know this year a good part of the issue was the fact that I think they've, they've been missing Jalen Brown a bit. But uh, at the end of the day, you still need to be able to build a team that is good enough to be able to compete, particularly with the moves that they've been able to do. It's not like I think they've, they've done bad moves. I think they've made some pretty good moves in recent years. It's just the team has felt so close yet so far to being like the team in the East because it almost feels like it's every uh, like every year that there's some sort of analyst that uh, says this is, is going to be Boston's time. They're so good. You know, they just brought in Kemba one year. They brought in Kyrie another year. And it's, it's just never turned into that. Uh, it's disappointing. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this team goes from here, um, particularly now with Brad Stevens, as you said, stepping in a front office, uh, who they're going to want to coach the team. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting, like, as I feel like uh, it, it's not too bad for the NBA to move stars. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with Tatum, what's going to happen with Brown. Uh, I don't know Kemba Walker's contract is like as well, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. This team could be in for a lot of moves and trying to reset themselves, I, th- I think, because they just haven't been able to, re- uh, you know, break the boundary and be able to, do anything with the players that they've been able to get. Well, I think, um, I think there's still a lot of young talent on the Celtics team and, you know, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum is a star and he's a young star. (laughs) They have renowned uh, Hollywood actor, Jason Tatum. No, that'd be awesome if they had Jason Tatum playing basketball for him. Oh yeah. But, you know, honestly, I, I think that there's a lot of talent uh, still there. I think that Marcus Smart is an underrated guard. I think, oh, you know, yeah. Kemba Walker has talent. I wouldn't say it has necessarily worked out since yeah, he's been there. But I think to me, you know, it feels like in the NBA when it comes to coaching, there's always kind of a revolving door of coaches, right? Sometimes coaches don't work in some places and they do in others. You know, I'm curious. It, it always feels like it's the same names that come up for job searches when it, or, or coaching searches in the NBA, right? Uh, you know, I think like Mike D'Antoni becomes an early favorite, right? Who's the top assistant to Steve Nash. He had a great run in Houston. I don't think he's done being head coach yet. I think Mark Jackson, his name's going to get thrown around. And uh, maybe his broadcast partner, Jeff uh, and Jeff uh, Gundy, might, might get thrown around as uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Um, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see who, and, you know, I think Becky Hammond, should get a, uh, you know, a look as well. But I think the Celtics have always been that organization. You know, look at Brad Stevens. That job was going to be too big for him. And I would say that Brad Stevens uh, was a success as a coach. I know that he did not bring championships, but I do think he's still one of the young, bright minds. I don't think his head coaching days are done, by the way. I I think it's more of a short-term thing than a long-term thing. But the thing about the East is I don't know how long the Nets are going to be together, this nucleus, how we don't know what the what the end's going to look like for them. I don't know if the 76ers are going to be long-term great with Embiid and uh, Simmons, even though it's a great year thus far. And I think Milwaukee is – they only have such a high ceiling because Giannis is not a, um, a great outside – Right, and there's 
superstar next to him. So I still think the Celtics are closer to completely hitting the reset button as a franchise. Sorry there, Evan. Uh, you kind of lagged there. Um, voice went a little robotic. You were talking after you muted. Uh, but we, we got we got what you were saying there. Um, Ap- apologies about that, guys. I apologize. Driving up to Massachusetts right now, and yeah. uh, I am in somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, <that laughs> Pennsylvania Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, man. Um, one more NBA thing that I want to talk about. This Lakers Sun series that Colbyorn and I have been focusing on, uh, Colbyorn thinks that it, it's going to bring out the West winner. Um, Lakers lose last night. They're down 3-2. And LeBron James left the game with five minutes left. Now, there was no AD last night. I'm just – I was listening on the radio. I went to the dentist this morning, and, you know, I'm, I'm listening on the radio, and I'm hearing these guys talk about how um, th- this reminds them of the Cleveland Cavaliers teams that LeBron was on in his early, you know, years uh, with, like, Anderson Varejao, Booby Gibson, all that stuff where, you know, he's putting on these monster performances and, you know, he's still losing. But at this point in his career, like, can we, can we stop pretending that this isn't the team that LeBron James wants to play with? Like Le- LeBron wants these players on his team. There's no way that you can't convince me that like management goes to him and says, Hey, do you want this free agent? Do you want this player? Would you like to play with him? And like, again, I can't say that I feel bad for LeBron at this point. You know, he won a championship with a lot of these guys last year. And I, again, Anthony Davis was hurt, but something's off this series. And, you know, leaving the game five minutes early, that just, that's not a good look. Um, whether or not he, I, I, I assume that he'll show up for game six. Cause I mean, LeBron in elimination games is very, very good, but I don't know. I feel like the writing's on the wall that this series is almost over. Uh, Anthony Davis hasn't really been that much of a factor. Of course, he's been injured, but he's also been almost canceled out by DeAndre Ayton. Um, Devin Booker's really playing well. Chris Paul's there, too. Uh, this Suns team is finding something out about these Lakers. And, and again, I'm not saying that the rest of this Lakers team is like good or anything. I don't think KCP is really that great. Uh, Andre Drummond, I have the biggest vendetta against him. But... I, I can't feel bad for LeBron. I can't say that like, oh, this is those ca- early Cavs team. It's like, is it? Because he wants to play with these players. These, you know, the front office goes to him. He definitely has input into who he's playing with and he's surrounding himself with guys that he thinks he can win with and they're just not. Um, we don't have to talk too much about this. We, we focused on this series a lot, but I'm just focusing on that leaving five minutes early game, a uh, whole thing. I, I don't understand that. What is? What are your guys' reactions to that? Uh, I, I don't know if the leading to f- uh, five minutes early is really good look. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what the score was at that mark. Maybe the game was kind of out of reach at that point. And uh, I, I will say LeBron is getting older. So it would be smart to where, you know, if the game is getting out of hand, all right, let's going to come back to LA. Let's go ahead and make it three, three. And then hopefully AD is going to be healthy for game seven and we can take it to the Suns then. Um I mean, beyond that, the other point that you mentioned, I highly disagree that this is anything like his early Cavs teams. Like, this is – I 100% agree with you. It's a team that he wants to play with. As you said, a lot of these guys won uh, won the championship with him in AD last year. And if you even talk about it, Dennis Schroeder is someone who we talked about who was really good with, uh, like, with OKC and was really starting to find himself. Uh, Drummond, I mean, 
whether whether you like him or not, he's someone that has been uh, a fairly decent center, um, like throughout his career. And then you've got like a, some good veterans and Dudley and Gasol uh, and Wesley Matthews, uh, and you got some other guys that can put in like uh, good minutes with Kuzma and you know you, you have his partner in crime Davis when he's healthy. This is a team that I think the Lakers and LeBron think can win the championship and when AD's been healthy, it's been a really close series. So I'm just excited that the series is kind of going, first of all, it's kind of going how I wanted to. And I'm very excited to just see these scores and see how the teams are kind of doing and seeing that it is this close. Um, but I'm really excited to see, uh, I mean, as, as I've kind of talked about, I really hope to see game seven with this. It's going to be very exciting. And uh, I, I would be excited if the Suns win it. I mean, obviously, you and I have both talked about it. we think the Lakers will go on, but if the Suns go on, I don't think either of us would be disappointed. In fact, I would be glad, and I'd want to see the Suns team make a big run. Yeah, I mean, what what a treat to have this as an opening round series. And, you know, I on a separate note, I mean, just it's been incredible to watch the toughness of Chris Paul this entire series, right? And it just feels like, Every team that Chris Paul is on, he elevates. And I know with the uh, the Lob City team, they never won a championship. But still, I mean, you look at what he was able to do in Oklahoma City last year in one year, nearly single-handedly won the Thunder, a first-round playoff series. And I think that this is probably the best chance that Chris Paul's had since the prime of Lob City to win a championship. Bottom line, for me with the Lakers, you know, I, I just think that the bottom line is this. LeBron James is still one of the greatest basketball players to ever live, but he is, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's in the Western Conference. And in my opinion, even if AD doesn't come back for the series, I still think that um, the, the I still think the Lakers can win too without AD. But I do think it is too tall of a mountain to climb for the Lakers to get back to the NBA championship without Anthony Davis. I think LeBron will play well. I still don't buy the supporting cast around him. I know Schroeder has the chance to go out and score a lot of points. I think Gasol's been an excellent addition, but I just don't think that there is that next third score. Like, for instance, you compare to the Miami Heat, right? You had Wade, you had James, and then you had like a Chris Bosh, right? Like, I just don't really think there's a – legit number three night in night out guy that's going to get you 20 to 25 and they desperately need that if Anthony Davis is going to be out for a significant amount of time yeah I, I like that point Evan um regarding just like a third guy on their roster I Colbert and I were talking about playoff series on the last pod and you know we were running through um, certain teams and we were talking about Dallas and how Dallas with Doncic and Porzingis could really use a third guy um, to really bolster their roster for years to come. Uh, and just a quick note on injured bigs. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers tweeted out about an hour ago an update on Joel Embiid, and he has a small lateral meniscus tear in his right knee. Now, it's small, they say, but there's heavy emphasis on that word because obviously you have tear in there as well. Um, they say he's day-to-day, still have to finish up this series against Washington, but I mean, that's probably something to look at uh, for the future of these playoffs. I mean, they get out of the first round, uh, they go on to play a team like the Hawks. And then obviously you've got like Brooklyn and Milwaukee who are tough tests, probably maybe awaiting you in the uh, conference finals. So maybe a devastating loss for Philadelphia, but we'll keep our tabs on that. So now I want to kind of get into 
uh, Evan specifically uh, before we wrap up today's show. Evan, I'm going to have a couple questions for you. You are our guest today, but you are also uh, a recent winner of the Jim Nance Award for Best College Broadcaster in the Nation. Um, so I just have a couple questions for you, maybe regarding the world of uh, broadcasting, world of reporting in sports, sports journalism, what have you, but also a couple personal ones. And I think I'll start off with that one. Mr. Evan Hughes, Las Vegas currently has the New York Jets at six wins. The under is favored at minus three, 130, while the over is at plus 110. In Robert Sala and Zach Wilson's first year together, what are you thinking? So I, I really think the Jets are going in a great direction. I think that this is the first time that the Jets have the right with the right general manager since Mike Ryan in 2009 and 2010. I think that Joe Douglas has surely great talent as a former scout. He comes from the Ozzie Newsome uh, kind of tree. He worked under him for a long time. He was a Super Bowl champion as an assistant GM with the Ravens. And the Eagles and I think who likes to teach really young Jets roster. But, guys, I, I think you can make the argument that the AFC East is becoming arguably – I know the NFC West is really good. I, I'd give them the upper hand right now. But I think the AFC East with New England and all the money they spent this year, Bill Belichick, I think they're going to be back. With the Dolphins, who I think are a quarterback away. If their quarterback – if Tua can play really well, they're a Super Bowl contending team. And then the Buffalo Bills. You throw in a Jets team that's really rebuilding. That's a really good division. There's no doubt that they are the fourth best team in the division this year. So I have the Jets winning anywhere from three to five games. But I think it'll be a very improved football team on the field. I think Zach Wilson is going to have success. But I just think the division is just too tough right now. I go three to five. So you are heavy in the under camp. Uh, yes. remember, this is a, this is a 17-game season. But, yes, we are heavy in the under camp still. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going with them at the under right now. I just, you know, and I think there's some opportunities early. Like, I do think there's a chance they go out and beat Sam Darnold and the Panthers in week one. They've got a game in London early, um, I believe an early bye week. But, you know, I, I don't see the Jets beating the Patriots once this year. I, I honestly see the Jets I mean I, I would say 0-6 on paper maybe they play really well one game go 1-5 against division teams so I'm saying 3-5 to five, and it all depends on how Zach Wilson plays he goes out there and lights up the NFL then we'll see what happens but I still just I mean this team is getting better talent wise but there's just not You guys were able to, with the number two pick, take the young BYU quarterback in Zach Wilson. And continuing with this Jets theme, um, and some of your like funny posts along it, your support with Zach Wilson, including just the the, the switched out photo with uh, the Darnold for Wilson and giving him good luck. Um, for you and for the Jets fans, like as a whole, 
is there a difference in the hype that you guys have between Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold? I think so. I think that there is excitement around Zach Wilson because there's an excitement amongst the fan base that it feels like we finally got the right general manager and the right coach. And if they really believe in this guy that like we fully trust, I mean, the saying is trust in Joe, like we trust in Joe right now. And he's had two home run drafts in his first two drafts as the general manager of the jets. And, you know, honestly, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. I personally, as a fan, wanted the Jets to keep Sam. I wanted the Jets to trade down from number two and get more draft picks because I think they have got to rebuild that roster as quickly as they can. But even though I didn't agree, I trust in Joe and I trust in Coach Robert Sala. And so I think there's excitement for Zach Wilson because there's excitement for the general manager and coaching staff that believe in him. I think there was just so much hype around Sam Darnold when he was drafted because you know, the Jets had an inexperienced GM and Mike McCagnin. They, you know, had a couple of Band-Aid seasons where they put together a bunch of veterans like they did in 2015 with Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker nearly made the playoffs. And it just felt like, I mean, Sam was going to be the savior, but he never got the help and support that he needed. So I think there was excitement for Sam because it really felt like, oh, my God, this is going to change our, our franchise forever. Instead, he never got the help he needs. Now it feels like Zach Wilson has the help that he needs around him to succeed. So different levels of excitement. But certain, listen, as Jets fans, whenever we draft a quarterback, there's always excitement. All we want is the next Joe Namath. And I, I hope it's uh, – I really hope it's Zach Wilson. So, Evan, I have one last question for you, and I know Kilburn has a couple more. So – not sure how much you follow the tennis scene, but this can probably be translated to other sports. Uh, Naomi Osaka, she dropped out of the French Open uh, because she just doesn't want to do press conferences, and French Open did not like that. Um, but we've seen this in other sports, too. We've seen Kyrie Irving uh, catch some heat uh, for his lack of wanting to attend press conferences. Do you think that this is going to become a theme? And as someone who attends press conferences and you know does sideline beats, do you think that the athlete – uh, press relationship is going to become something of the past, or do you think that this is just going to be something that's uh, more individual to the athlete? No, I think it's going to be more individual to the athlete. I do think it's going to be something that is, is more common. Um, you know, and athletes, listen, it's, you know, it's their right to say whatever they want. And, you know, I know that I, and I don't know all the details of it, but I, I believe it's in a lot of athletes' contracts that they have to talk to the media. But I look at it as, again, you know, these are, these are human beings that are gracious enough to give us the time. And um, they, they can choose how to answer in whatever way that they want. And I think that, you know, again, I, I think that they should have the right to do what they feel is right. Um, and I, my heart really goes out to Naomi Osaka because – you know, she is arguably the best player in the world right now. And for her to come out and be so open with the public on, you know, what she's going through right now and how much anxiety those press conferences cause. I just think that it's, it's shining a much needed light on a subject that we might not have known if she didn't step out and say, Hey, this is why I'm doing this. And um, I think it was a really eye-opening moment for so many across the sports world an eye-opening moment for writers and, and, and broadcasters, but I think that there will always be that relationship with um, the media 
and the players. There's a lot of great, you know, great stories of, you know, people becoming friends from that, you know, like media personnel and, and athletes. And so I think that that'll always be there, but I think that an athlete should have the right if they want to, you know, try and develop a relationship with the writers or if they don't, I, I think that's totally the balls in their court. But uh, this was a really impactful week because of what Naomi did. And I, I think it showed a lot of, of bravery and to do that in the middle of the French open um, is, is just, again, it, it sheds an incredible light on this topic. Yeah, it was, it was great to see all the positive support as well. And uh, like on Twitter and other social media for uh, Naomi Osaka when she came out with that, uh, including like the other athletes uh, across sports and like Steph Curry and whatnot. It was great to see that. Um, for some of the other questions that I have here, I kind of want to talk about not only, the, of course, the award, but also your time as a, a Hokie and an SMA in, gen, uh, in, in the sports media analytics field in general. So I did want to start out that uh, I'm still recently new to this. And I'm still recently new to 3304, uh, you know, and I've been following y'all, but you have been a bright spot for this program and you've really been like uh, great, like specifically for 3304, as was mentioned at the top of this podcast, you're one of the pioneers of this organization. And I mean, for one thing, I definitely want to say thank you for being able to create this path for uh, people like Dan and myself to be able to continue to post content with this great group um, and to be able to do uh, like great things in the SMA program. Now, along those lines, you did also mention that it's great for this program, uh, like the program as a whole that you're able to get this award which you came in second in 2020 from what I saw, as well as first this past year, uh, you know, winning it, which was amazing. Um, first of all, is winning the award for you, was it a very much like a surreal moment? Uh, honestly, one of the most surreal moments of my life. I, it, it was it was so special because I, I got to watch it with people that care about me so much, from my family to my friends who I've known for a long time. Uh, to my uncle, to my godfather uh, coming. I mean, it was so surreal. And it was, it was, I mean, just, I'm still at a loss of words when I talk about it because, you know, it, it means a great deal to me, but I'm, I'm just so proud of what it has meant to our program here at SMA. And, and Colbjorn, to hear you say that and just, you know, talking about what 3304 opportunities have come up for you and, the relationships that you've built from them that makes me so happy because guys are just doing an unbelievable job and yeah it's been amazing to watch 3304 put a foundation and then the example I mean, the amount of people we have in 3304 sport think it really shows that hey you know, we really are on the map the time is now to come to virginia tech and again talking with bill roth uh, after the award show and him saying that there were seniors reaching out or following him on social media 
uh, after the award show, like knowing that they are hearing that um, and seeing Virginia Tech at that number. And for kids around the country, you know that Virginia Tech is one of the best places to go in the entire country if this is what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I will say you did cut out a little bit on that, but I was able to uh, catch a good bit of it. Uh, I do very much appreciate what this does mean for you and definitely what it means for the program. Uh, as you've mentioned, actually, multiple times now that for high school seniors that uh, they're starting to follow him in the, and they're even reaching out to uh, Bill Roth, who's one of the leading uh, SMA professors here at Virginia Tech. Um, uh, so, so the pro like for the award, you've really been focusing it on the program as a whole. Um, is this something that is really like you're looking at is going to be able to jumpstart the program, or is it something that I think just? Uh, I mean, I, I think you can maybe even say as well as like something that adds to all the work that um, you and a lot of the other people that helped make 3304 uh, and help really push the SMA program is like, like, is that kind of like, this is something to show for the work that you all have been able to do? So, I mean, I think that, I think the program's already amazing where it is right now. And mm -hmm. I think, I think what it shows is just that there's, well, let me, let me, it, it, there's so many people that are part of this. You know, it's more than just me. I look at this award, guys, honestly, as a team award. Like, this is for Virginia Tech. This is for all of the professors. This is for all of the people who have helped me along my journey who are part of the SMA. Like, this, this, is, this is for you guys, too, right? Like, this is a – there's so many people who go into um, making a reel and the opportunities that are given in order to go out and – and and uh, and work in the field, and so I just I just look at that and just say that I know my name is on it, but this is a win for Virginia Tech, and this is a win for SMA, and that's really really special to me is that I think it's just it's validation to all those people that put so much time and energy into launching this a couple of years ago, and now we have the Jim Nance Award winner. I think it's just validation that we're doing something incredible here at Virginia Tech, and the sky is the limit for us. Uh, speaking on that award as well, there's some really nice stuff that you're able to get, including uh, the 2020 uh, winner of the Jim Nance Award, uh, congratulating you as well. Um, I remember that posted on the site. Um, were there some other like congratulations, maybe even including that one, that were surprises to you that you really enjoyed? Um, obviously, your family was with you on the day, as you talked about, and that was lovely to see, and it was lovely to see your reaction. Um, but yeah, were there was there any like surprise congratulations that was like, man, it's so cool that this person reached out. So one of my best friends and my roommate, um, I was not with him when I watched. He was in Blacksburg. I was in Richmond and I left for the Outer Banks the next day. So I drive down to the Outer Banks and I just get to the house I'm at and I get a call from Drew and he says, hey, look at your phone. And I look and there's a video from Colin Cowherd congratulating me on winning the award. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, that Colin Cowherd had known and, and Drew and a couple of my close friends uh, went to Cameo and got me, a, I mean, the most amazing gift. And it was Colin Cowherd uh, making a video congratulating me. And I still just cannot believe that because I just, I love Colin. I think that he is so unique in the way that he is able to tell a story and give his opinion. Um, 
And that was really cool. And I'll also just say this, though, too. I mean, the fact that Jim Nance made a video and remembered me being the runner-up from last year and shouted out our program because he knew how much it would mean to us. Like, he gave such a personalized video. And he did it on the Sunday of the championship two Sundays ago. Um, so the fact that he made a personalized video for me when he had such an important day in the history of golf on the line, I mean, I just, I can't get over it. You know, I, I am just, you know, over the moon excited and happy. And, you know, it meant the world to have so many people from our program reach out. And um, it was just, just, a, just a special, special day. Yeah, and that's huge. And that's, it's great to hear those names as well. I, I remember I thought I saw something on the cowherd, but I, I just, I, I didn't know if I could confirm it or not. Uh, I think it was posted by like uh, one of the hokey fan accounts like Diablo. So I was like, uh, I, I want to ask the question because, you know, first of all, it's cool and everything. But second of all, just to make sure, particularly on that one, and that is such a cool thing. Uh, and it was really uh, nice for friends to be able to do that. Um even reminisce a little bit here uh, with your time at Virginia Tech. Uh, did you have like maybe it's not your favorite sport in the world, but did you have a favorite sport like that you enjoyed to call? And like every single time you went to call that sport, you know that was like the most excited you were, or like you were excited for that season to come uh, at Tech. You know, honestly, guys, I I've had the pleasure of calling nine different uh, sports at Virginia Tech, and all of them are really exciting and they present different challenges every time that you call them because they're different sports and it, it really keeps you on your toes um, to be able to, you know, you got to prep a little bit differently and the, the way you call a game, you know, the way you call a volleyball game is a lot different than the way you call a soccer game, just based off the nature and the pacing of the sport. So um, there's, so, I, seriously, me, I, for instance, um, I, you know, soda and have really enjoyed the sledgehammer aspect of Virginia Tech baseball and getting the call that I absolutely uh, love softball, a sport that uh, my sister grew up playing and it really kind of helped uh, further my love of sports, watching her play growing up, a sport that I knew nothing about when I got to Virginia Tech and now is arguably my favorite to call is wrestling. I've really been thankful to get to know Coach Roby and his staff, and they've been great to me. And I love doing play-by-play of wrestling. I mean, so there's just so many sports. And when you get to call multiple sports, Colby, and you get to know many different coaches, all great people, no matter who the, you know, who we're calling and it's really great to, to zoom with them and then share their stories over the air. And um, anyways, it's just, yeah, every sport is, is a lot of fun. I really enjoy all of them. And uh, that's great to hear. And it's great even to hear all those uh, little things on each of them. Um, speaking of tech sports as well, um, maybe you didn't essentially like necessarily call these games, but from your time at Virginia tech, do you have like a favorite game or maybe even a top three games, uh, whether you were on call or you watched them, were there three games that just stand out for you? And it's like, this was one of the most enjoyable times to be a Hokie. Well, I'll give you two of them. I was not on the call for these, but I'm going to put it number one, the uh, six overtime win for Virginia tech football over North Carolina. Um, 
you know, that was just incredible, right? I mean, that's why sports is the best reality show in the world because you just don't know what's coming. Who could have possibly scripted three quarterbacks scoring touchdowns for Virginia Tech in one game and Quincy Patterson in the long run and then the missed field goals? And then my favorite part of that game was when, you know, the official comes on over the mic at the end of the fourth overtime and everybody's quiet because nobody knows what the new – overtime rule is after whatever four or five overtimes um and i got to watch that with my parents which was really really neat i'd put right behind it if not tied i was fortunate enough to be inside of castle coliseum watching the duel between virginia tech and nc state this year when sam latona ice in his veins the the takedown and the two near fall points at the buzzer that won virginia tech and acc um dual meet championship I'd put that at two. And then, you know, I would probably put in terms of games that I've called at Tech at number three, just because of a moment in 2019, I got to call the Virginia Tech Clemson baseball series. And the opening game was on the Friday of the Sweet 16 for Virginia Tech basketball. And so everyone's getting ready for that. But, you know, just before that, a guy by the name of Logan Davidson, who ended up going on to be a first-round draft selection by the uh, Oakland Athletics that year, smokes a ball to left center field. And this young, talented freshman, Nick Bittison, what I mean climbs the wall, I mean climbs the wall and brings a home run ball back over the wall. Uh, that was a really special moment to call. And to nail the call, too, was really neat as well. And you see the, you know, the SC top 10, um, a little logo coming up in the corner of the screen. So I know that's not a game, but that's a moment I will never forget. One of the most acrobatic, sensational plays I've ever seen in any sport. For sure. And I mean, I, I uh, personally, I didn't have the personal pleasure of the wrestling one, but I did have the pleasure of the UNC. That has got to be one of the best things for, I think, anyone uh, who's been here. So it's great to even hear that you had great memories of it, particularly with your family. Um. Kind of as we're wrapping up things here, just a couple things uh, for future stuff as well. Um, one thing is, you know, since you have been such, so successful as broadcaster and so successful in the sports media analytics field, um, do you have any advice for future broadcasters or people in the field? Um, maybe something that they can do that uh, could make them stand out or could give them a little bit more of like uh, like rubber, a little bit more opportunity um, to be able to showcase their skills. Sure. I, you know, there, somebody asked me that right after I won the award and it hit me and I didn't have a great answer. And I, and I really thought about it. Um, I think there's three things. Number one, I, I know that people might think that this is a given, but I really think that there are a lot of people in this field that forget this. Have fun. How many people in this world love sports, but work a nine to five job? And they would do anything to get into this. Sure, there's long, weird hours. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes with this business. But it's a heck of a lot of fun what we get to do. We get to talk or write about sports, hopefully one day for a living. And I just think never lose sight of that. Like, you know, this, what we're doing is supposed to be fun. And always remember that because sometimes you can forget that. And it's always the love of the game that brings you back and say, wow, this is really cool that I'm getting to do this. I think number two is to really prepare. Um, 
I never want to go on a broadcast and just not be prepared. I, I've never had that happen before, but I feel like if it happened, it would feel, you know, that feeling if you don't brush your teeth right before you get to bed and you've got that like slime on your teeth or, I mean, it's just like, you've got that like uh, morning, kind of like that morning breath. Like it, it feels like so wrong. Like you immediately need to go and brush your teeth. Like I can't imagine what it's like to not be prepped. I want to prep so hard in everything I do. And even though 80% of the prep might not get right over the air, our job is to be storytellers and to be a good storyteller, you got to put in a lot of you know, work about players and their background or coaches and, and their stories. So make sure you out prep everybody, but you prep the right way. You know, don't worry about, you know, necessarily height and weight. And this person wasn't uh, a first team all conference in high school. Think about the human interest. What makes this player interesting that, you know, steps up to the plate. This player's mom is the founder of a nonprofit and does a lot of charity where he volunteers too. Like using that as an example, that's what people want to hear. So make sure when you prep, you, you prep the right way. Um, so I think that's number two. And number three, and, and most importantly, is to make sure you treat everybody with compassion and kindness. And I think this is something that goes for life. I really think that if you are a hard worker, and a good person, it's three-fourths the battle, and the talent will take care of the rest of itself. Be that person who is going to talk to people in the concession stands that are working a baseball game, the ticket scanners, right? All of those people matter and play a role. Get to know them. Get to know their names. Um, it's not something you do. And don't even look at it as like a, a chore that you need to check off the box. You know, we're in sports. I'm in broadcasting. I love to talk to people. I love making relationships. So be nice to everyone that you come into contact with and then work your tail off. And I honestly think if you do those three things and being kind, out prep, I mean, prepping really hard and, um, and uh, I'm already forgetting my last one, but those, those three things to me are just really important. And that's the advice I'd get to not only broadcasters but anybody trying to get into this field yeah i was even about to say not even just this field in general that's just amazing advice nice. just being able to be be positive and just being able to Obviously, it's been very enjoyable to have you on the pod today. Um, do you have any recommendation or any, you know, like little, little like exciting thing of like, oh, you and Dan should go and try to reach out and get this person or whatnot? Because this has been such a fun time, not only to discuss with you uh, sports in general, but to be able to talk with you. And I know Dan and I are definitely going to be looking to do this in the future. And it's been lovely to be able to have you kind of like as our first to do this. Well, thank you guys. And I, I did a couple of 3304 sports podcasts when I was an undergrad, which was literally three weeks ago, by the way. So I'm not trying to act like I'm some old guy. Um, but no, I, I would just encourage you guys and, you know, to, to reach out to, you know, go shoot, go shoot for the big time person to bring on the podcast. When I was in the eighth grade, I had my own online sports radio show. It was called Sports World with Evan Hughes. 
It was online on blog talk radio. Nobody listened to it, but I did it almost every day over the summer because I loved it. My parents told me one day to reach out to somebody that inspires me that I enjoy and see if uh, he or she would come on. And I reached out to one of my idols growing up, a guy by the name of Bill Roth, who at the time was the voice of the Hokies. And I sent him an email the week of the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in 2013, Virginia Tech versus Alabama. And I said, there's no way he's going to respond. It's a huge week for him. The voice of the Hokies, within two hours, emails me back and wants to come on my podcast the day after the game at like nine in the morning. And who would have thought that six, seven, eight years later, Bill is leading our program at Tech, and I owe the man so much. So my point is, and this goes for everybody too, um, you know, podcast, whatever it may be, don't be afraid to go reach out uh, to people that uh, you, you think of as idols and, and, and that like, you know, it would just be a dream to talk to and you could pick their brain on about the industry. Because you never know where it might lead you. And the first time I ever reached out to somebody out to be one of the people in my life uh, to this day, there are people in this industry who want to help young casters, young writers, young podcasters succeed. And, you know, it's a smaller group of people you would think people in the sports business and i think that's a if people have done that for me i hope to do that one day for others i know you guys will do that and i have no doubt that you know whoever you guys get on here they they'll be lucky to talk to the great colbjorn and dan i really appreciate it i really appreciate more excellent advice and that's all the questions i specifically have and it has been a pleasure to be able to talk with you as i've said um already with all the sports and even having these questions this has been a lot of fun to have you on Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I hope, I hope you guys will have me on again. I'll be listening from uh, all the time and I uh, just really appreciate you guys. And I'm proud of what you guys are doing to grow 3304 sports and, and help grow our uh, school of communication. Evan, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, dude, just congratulations on uh, graduating. And of course, congratulations on putting in that hard work coming back from last year and taking home the Jim Nance award for best uh, college broadcaster in the nation. Once again, man, congratulations and thank you. Thank you, guys. Dan, good luck to your Cowboys this year. Oh, yeah, they're going to need it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So with that being said, again, we want to thank Evan Hughes for coming on with us today. For Colby Bergstrom, I am Dan Steinbach. You have been listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Have a great day and take care. (laughs) 